Thing. Is it going? Yes, that's going. Right, I'm going to speak today from James chapter 3, verses 13, to chapter 4 and verse 10. And the title I'm giving to this is The Meekness of Wisdom, uh, although that only really applies to the first half, but never mind. After I spoke on James a few weeks ago, I was speaking to... A few people came up to chat with me about what I'd said afterwards. And one person said uh, they always felt a bit conflicted about uh, reading James or hearing preachers on James. Because on one level, what he writes is very good, very succinct. At the other level, it's extremely challenging. And most of the time, we would rather not to be challenged. You know, we'd rather have something comfortable... Uh, which we can say, yeah, God's good, God, you know, I feel very comfortable. Now, I hope with today it'll be a mixture of being both a challenge and a comfort, because Scripture should really do both to us. It shouldn't just be one, it shouldn't just be the other. Right, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, 
He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? Lord, do ask that you'll give me the words to say. Lord, that I would not downplay your words in scripture. But also, Lord, that I would not put my own words in, in addition. Lord, let us hear what you have to say to us. Amen. Right, not a very comfortable passage in many ways. But let me ask you a question. What is our current murder rate in the church? In this church. How many murders have we had in the last year? Zero as far as we know. The bodies haven't been found yet. Okay. So we're okay. Last 10 years? Still zero. Last 20 years? I think it's still zero. So, compared to verse 2, we're not doing too badly. So that, that's the first bit of encouragement. Not bad, you know. We, we haven't got to the stage that because we desire and don't have, that we've murdered somebody. Okay? I think also the encouragement is any discouragement we might feel is no different from what would have happened in the early church when they received James' letter. It's not as if where we feel we don't meet the requirements which James has here, that somehow we are big failures compared to the rest of the church. There have always been these issues in the church because we're in a spiritual battle. I think Pete was talking, we need a warfare mentality. We are in a spiritual battle. So therefore, these things are going to happen. Because here he's talking about things which are involve spiritual warfare. Which involve us being under attack. Which involve us fighting back. So therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we read something like this and we read some of these verses and we say, hmm... I'm not quite sure how I match up with that. Fortunately, James does tell us what to do about it, and I'll make sure I include that as we go along. But equally, we need to be open to God really speaking to us and saying, is this something you've got to deal with? Because we want to grow as a church. We want to be a church which can welcome people in, And if we have got big unresolved issues in ourselves, that makes that more difficult. So we want God to deal with us so that then we can show his love out to others. Right, so getting... I think when I was preparing this, I found it quite difficult. Because at one level, there's so much in here. If I tried going through everything... Uh, we'd be here to half past two, and I'm sure you don't want to be here to half past two or later. But equally, I think what we want to do, really, is let the scripture speak to us. So I'm going to reread it in sections and then make some comments. 
So from, again, from chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, if you think to the culture James is writing into, 2,000 years ago, it was heavily dominated by Greek culture. The Romans were ruling, but the culture in the area where Jesus was and most of the Mediterranean was Greek. And there, there was a high place given, if you like, to people who had wisdom. To people who had been educated in philosophy and so on. But what James is saying here, wisdom is not a matter of education. Wisdom is not a matter of you having the right certificates and diplomas, not having done the right courses. And the first thing he says when he's talking about wisdom is he talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Because if you've got bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, any wisdom you've got, you're going to use to try and control other people. To get your way. That's why it's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. The wisdom God gives is not, its purpose is not for you to control others. That's why there is a meekness involved in true wisdom. If somebody says effectively, but they will never quite phrase it like this, but if they say effectively, I'm very wise and therefore you've got to do this, that is not true spiritual wisdom. Because what do we find in verse 17 about wisdom from above? It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's not harsh. It's open to reason. If you cannot reason with somebody, they're not wise. If somebody can't reason with you and you change your mind, you're not wise. And I think one of the questions I think I certainly challenges me is are there things which I don't allow God to change in my thinking because I'm so 
invested in them that if I was to give them up, I would feel that I'm losing something. True wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It doesn't favour one group over another group. And it's sincere. It's not an act. It's who you really are. Now, I welcome the fact that at various times in the last couple of two or three months, Pete and Sam have challenged me over some of the things I've said when I've been out here. Because I need to be open to challenge. And it doesn't have to be from Sam or Pete. But that's true of all of us. We all need to be willing. And sometimes when we're challenged, you recognise, yes, you know, maybe I should have phrased something a bit better, or maybe, oh, I never thought of it, it could be interpreted that way, because, you know, I'm thinking one way, other people might think, see it from a different angle, and therefore not interpret it in the way I intended. These things can happen. We need to learn from them. Sometimes I'm not convinced, which also is fair enough, all right? But we need to be people who are always hearing from God and always willing to change if we are convinced that is what God is saying. Mm -hmm. We don't want to flip this way and that way according to what the latest fashions are. But we do want to get closer and closer to God's way. And that takes time. And it can be difficult when the winds of fashion are put blowing one way and God's way is a different way. Also notice that when it's talking about wisdom, it's talking as much, you see wisdom by its actions, not by its words. Although the words will be there, but you know that it's wisdom because of the actions which come from it. Right, let's go on to chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship of the world is the enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? I don't know how your Bible's set out, but some Bibles will have little footnotes telling you when they quote a verse where it comes. So, I was a bit puzzled when I looked at my Bible for verse 5, when it says, the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. It doesn't give you a verse in the Old Testament where you can find that. And I don't suggest you try looking because you won't find it. 
What that is, is a one-sentence summary of the Old Testament. That is what the Old Testament tells us. That God yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. God chose the people of Israel. And he was jealous over them. That's why, verse 4, it talks about you adulterous people. Because that's what the prophets were saying about the people of Israel. That they weren't following their Lord. They weren't following God. But they were going their own way. And if you look in several of the prophets, they, the, the picture, the analogy they use is of a, an unfaithful wife with her husband. Now the picture used in the New Testament is the church with her husband Jesus. So the question is, are we being faithful? Because we have a choice as a church. And remember, when James is writing this, he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to people who are not Christians. We have a choice of whether we remain faithful to Jesus, to God, or whether we go and uh, follow other gods. So that's always a something we have to bear in mind. And going back to again, he says, what causes quarrels? Is it not that our passions are at war? You know, there's, for most, I think all of us, there's, and it varies the mix at different times. There's one element of us which says, yes, I want to follow God with my whole heart. And there's another element which says, Oh, I still quite like this or that. And those passions are at war in us. And I think until Jesus returns, those passions are going to continue at war in us. No, again, we need a warfare mindset. We're not, we're not living in a time of peace. We're living in a time of war and we, it will continue. Now, when you've got war, there are times where it's more peaceable and there's times when it's less peaceable. But you never get to a time where it's absolute peace. And we need to be people who are definitive that we want to be people who follow Jesus. Going on to verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace. So, God yearns over us, but he gives us grace. He's the one who cares for us. He says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So, the solution to the conflict in our passions is to submit ourselves to God. A conscious choice, a continuous conscious choice. You know, there's the time when we submit ourselves to God when we become Christians, but we then need to continue submitting ourselves to God. 
Jumping ahead a bit to verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So, there's never any doubt as to whether God wants to be close to us. The doubt, if there's any, is do we want to be close to God? Because if we want to be close to God, he will be close to us. Also, going, going back to the bit in verse 7 I just jumped over. In between the two bits, submit yourself to God and draw near to God, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's no point trying to resist the devil in the abstract on its own. If we're going to resist the devil, we need to do it as in these verses. We need to resist the devil because we're submitted to God and we've drawn near to God. Because then, when we resist the devil, we're close to God to replace this. One of the bits where Jesus, I don't just come back to me in my mind, so I haven't got the verse. But you'll find in the Gospels, Jesus tells, I think it's the disciples, you know, when an evil spirit is cast out of someone, you need to put something else there. Otherwise, the evil spirit will come back. Oh, a nice clean house. You know, I'll go and bring my seven friends along as well. Because there's no point resisting the devil if we don't let God take the place where we've resisted the devil from. I think in, uh, recently in our growth group we're listening to David Holden's uh, videos on the battle for the mind. And I think he talks about you know, when the devil attacks us as if we've got a landing ground in which his thoughts can sort of land in us because of things in our background, things we like, we can do that. So if we're going to resist the devil we need to put great big logs and rocks on the landing ground so the thoughts don't have a place to land. They might come zooming down, but they can't land because there isn't the space because we've replaced where they could have landed with God and Jesus and what he's calling us to. Because he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. If we know that there are things which we are not letting God deal with, that is what we need. It is that serious. We need to be wretched, mourn, weep. There's no point laughing when you should be mourning. There's no point pretending sin isn't serious or it doesn't really matter when we should be mourning it. But notice, when we do that, he will exalt you. He doesn't bring to our notice things we need to put right just to be able to say, yeah, told you so. You ha- you know, you, I knew you wouldn't make it on this. When he draws our attention to things which need to be put right, it's because he wants to 
it to be dealt with and for him to forgive us and for him to give us our joy. God doesn't do things to make us miserable. Well, I'll rephrase that. Sometimes he does do things to make us miserable, to make us realise what we've fallen from. Or certainly he permits us to become miserable to make us realise what we've fallen from. But the purpose is not for us to be miserable. The purpose is for it to be dealt with and for us to experience the joy and love of Jesus. Right. Can you get back to the uh, song we're singing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less? I was going to mention this a bit earlier, but I forgot at the time. Right, there. Our hope is built on Jesus. Therefore, because it's built on Jesus, our hope is secure. Now, I'm not quite sure if, looking at that uh, verse, what picture that has for you. What does the word frame imply to you? If you see the, you know, dare not trust the sweetest frame, what do you think the word frame, if I say the word frame, what picture do you get? Pon? Something you build around? Anything else? Something around a picture. Something around a Yeah. See, my immediate one is something around a picture. Which is just pretty and looks nice. And doesn't really do much. This, I think this, is, I think this uh, hymn originally would come from late 19th century America. Where buildings were built around a wooden frame. No, we have frame-built buildings in this country now as well. Though they usually stick bricks on the outside to make pretend it's not held up by wood. But the thing about the frame is the frame which holds the building there. You know, the bricks in front, or if in America the uh, wooden bits covering the front, are there to make it look pretty. They don't hold the building up. Jesus is the frame on which our lives can be built. It is absolutely secure. And, I don't know, was there anything else there? Yeah. So therefore, we need to trust in Jesus. You know, our trust has to be in him. Not in anything else. And therefore, that's why I've been saying we need to come close to God and allow him to challenge us and allow him to change us. Right, last couple of minutes, let's pray. Now, if as I've been speaking, God has challenged you about something specific, bring it before him, come close to God. If you need to confess something to him, confess it to him. If there's something you know you need to put right with somebody else, tell him. 
and tell him you're going to put it by as soon as you can. If there's something you just know you need to change the balance of how you think of things, bring that to God as well. Because as John said in his letter, Jesus is faithful and he's just. And he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So Lord, we bring those things which we know which are not righteous in us. And Lord, we bring those things where we know where we sinned against you and against our fellow man. And Lord, we confess that we can't put ourselves right. But Lord, we thank you that by your death on the cross, you took the penalty for all of those things. And Lord, we ask now that you cleanse us. And Lord, we ask that if there are things we know we need to change to prevent the enemy coming so that we can resist the devil, Lord, help us to put those into place. And if you find it helpful, you might want to tell somebody you trust about any changes you wish to make. To ask them to check up on you. Because God's put us in a family so that we can support one another. And I know for myself that I can try and fool myself but it's harder to fool yourself if you're actually having to talk to somebody else about it so Lord come make us anew but Lord we thank you that the call from you whenever we feel distant is to come to you and we know that as we come to you you are near to us thank you Lord Jesus Amen.